Good morning. Hey, welcome to worship this morning at University Heights, UMC. I'm Pastor David. Uh, Marilyn Winslow is our liturgist as well as leading our uh, children's sermon today. You are the congregation. Thank you for being here to share your reflection on God's word and your praises as we worship together. I hope you've had a good week. Hope it's been refreshing at times. Hope it's been challenging at times. We are in the midst of a worship series entitled, Jesus, You Want Me to Do What Now? And so I hope that uh, throughout your week you are feeling the, the urgings of the Holy Spirit to risk yourself in a new bold way. I invite you to sign in this morning. I do uh, see the uh, folders in, in the pews, and so inside those is a little spot where you can indicate that you are with us today as well as share any prayer concerns you might have inklings towards serving in the church um, make use of those connection cards as you see fit today if you're visiting with us we extend a special welcome hope you'll uh, join us after the service for some refreshments and coffee and conversation as a reminder this month september our loose change offering goes to the bibs pantry so anytime you support with a change in the plate, it'll support that vital ministry. Couple things coming up. I know that next weekend, uh, our youth are invited to a cookout with youth from Rosedale Hills, Sunday at 5 p.m. next week. So looking forward to that fellowship together. Uh, Kids Sensational Saturday will be gathering in uh, two weeks from yesterday. So excited about the plans being made by that team for another wonderful opportunity uh, to gather kids from the community and learn and sing and worship together. In fact, some of the kids will be sharing a song today that they learned from the Kids Sensational Saturday in August. So that'll be extremely fun today. Invites you to greet those around you this morning because this rain, you know, it kind of makes us a little tired. It kind of puts us at peace. So how about a hearty welcome to get ourselves awake, ready to praise this morning. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good, and it is good to be in this place. Let us gather our hearts and minds in prayer this morning. Glorious God, we give you uh, praise and thanks for an opportunity to gather in your name, to hear your good word, to show our gratitude, to grow in grace, to be called into service. Uh, Lord, challenge us again in the reading of your word today as you go out seeking for the one that's lost. Speak a message to those 99 who are left looking on. We ask for your discernment today. 
We also pray, Lord God, on this anniversary day of September 11th, as those memories still resonate with us of grief, of anger, of confusion. And so, Lord, as we, as we remember where we were, as we remember the stories of that day, uh, remind us of your ark of protection. Remind us of how you equip others to serve and heal. And speak to us about our opportunity to reach out and be a, a sign of welcome, a sign of care in the midst of grief. We lift all of our prayers trusting in your work and your Holy Spirit's work in this place now and going forward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. stand for the call to worship. God calls to the lost, the least, and all who long for home. God calls when we wander from the path chosen for us and waste the gifts he has been given. God calls and welcomes us back to worship this day. God goes to any lengths to find us, rescue us, and lead us to a state of praise. Let us celebrate and rejoice in God's presence forever. Let us worship God together. As we sing, we can worship God by singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
join together in our opening prayer. Persistently forgiving God, we are a stubborn people who try your patience, yet instead of giving up lost, you seek us out until we return to you. Break our obstinacy and bring us back from your wanderings. Create in us pure and faithful hearts, which rejoice in your forgiveness, made known through Jesus Christ. Amen. And now our Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. may be seated. Our Old Testament scripture today comes from the book of Zephaniah. And for those of you like me, I had to do some searching to find Zephaniah. Not one of those books I've studied a lot. But you're going to hear what the first, I believe, 20 verses say. Verses 14 through 20. A song of joy. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise. 
and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Amen. And now our hymn is number 390. The New Testament lesson comes from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. The parable of the lost sheep. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, 
and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now I would like to let the uh, pastor and some other folks perform a skit for us. seen him. Yeah, he was with us for a while when we were grazing, but he must have wandered off. Guy's always looking for greener pasture, man. Sheep that is seduced in searching for safety. Okay, we are sheep, not poets. Just play the part, all right? Got it? Uh, I wonder if he's gone. I really don't like when my sheep get lost. Yeah, he'll, he'll probably come back. horrible. Why do you do this? <laughs> you might not know how to come back. You might be lost. And not, not, not know the way back. And who knows what's out there? Yeah, there, there could be wolves or bears or coyotes and dogs and foxes and eagles and bobcats. Okay, well, I'm just going to cut you off there. Hey, we have a lot of predators. That's okay. <laughs> Hope so. Yep. Cool. I hope he's not hurt and feeling alone experiencing all by himself. It's a dangerous world out there. No. Let your mind wander. You start to imagine all the troubles you find yourself in. Hate, hate to think he might have fallen on a cliff, broke his leg, chased by a wolf into a cave. Scary. What is wrong with you? Could happen. 
I think the shepherd's love is broad enough for all of us. I think he'd risk anything to rescue you or me. That's kind of not always the best at doing what the shepherd wants. I mean, I, I talk a bit and try to listen to him. No kidding. I'm a bit irritating and I like attention. Never noticed that. Friend, the shepherd loves you. The shepherd's love knows no bound. It's undeniable. It's unforgettable. I don't know how he does it. Even when we're at our worst, he keeps coming after us again and again. He will not ever leave you alone. He will find you. He'll find all of us. Dude, all right. We were so worried about you, man. Were there wolves? Are you hurt? Were there snakes? Are, were, were there lots of challenges, obstacles? Were there clowns? No, dude, I'm, cut it out with the clowns in the circus. No, I, I just wandered too far. Got lost. Scared. God. The terror of being alone was beginning to rise. I couldn't find my way back by myself in any direction. How can I ever thank you for saving me? Wow. That's dramatic. Shepherd man, you you look a little banged up there. Your your jeans are rolled up on wet one leg. That must mean you're seriously injured. Uh, What's going on? Your bruises all over you, man. We're all home. This is, this is a great feeling. Let's just celebrate. Let's do something fun. Yeah, we could get a fresh shave at the barber shop. Oh, my God. We could go online and watch some funny chicken clips on YouTube. YouTube? Dude, those aren't even funny for a church skit. Let's go. <laughs> And now we'll invite the children to come up and any volunteers who have helped with KSS in the past, we encourage you to join us at the front. This children's message today will really be provided by the children with a little bit of help.
think we have to have a bit of a moment for the pastor to gather his senses back. I'm not quite sure where he is, but he'll be here soon. Have no fear. I'm not preaching. There's only so many of these you can do in a row, you know, so. <laughs> Pretty quiet in here right now. From time to time you might hear a car horn honk or a train whistle blow. Maybe you'll see the light kind of coming in through the windows. You'll notice the drooping of a flower on the altar get a whiff of somebody's perfume. If you're further enough back, maybe you can smell the coffee brewing calling you out. <laughs> you feel a pinch in your foot, your sh new shoes are a little too tight, your back's a little sore from working too much in the garden yesterday. You got a taste of a cough drop in your mouth. Maybe you snuck a cookie before service and you still got sugar on your tongue. We have a barrage of sensory information all the time. There's so much that you could be seeing and smelling and hearing and touching right now. Imagine if you had to pay attention to all of that stimuli, all of those experiences at once. It would cause a bit of a fit of distraction, I imagine. Luckily, we do have the ability to silence this overload, give our attention to one thing. It's called selective attention. It could easily be illustrated on a common meal out at a restaurant. You're there to have a wonderful dinner with a significant other. As you walk in, you notice though there's TVs on all the walls playing football games from around the country. The, the folks next to you are laughing a little bit too loudly there's a lot of silverware and plates making sound. The wait staff is breaking into their own rendition of happy birthday. You smell the soy sauce and the stir fry drifting from the kitchen to your table. And yet you are able to tune out all this irrelevant information because you are there to hear the information the story that your partner shares. Or at least in my case, your brain's working really, really hard to stay with what your spouse is saying or else. <laughs> but thank goodness we can do this, right? Tune things out. Otherwise, the Sunday sermon would have no chance against the itch on your back collar, the sound of the person in your pew breathing a little bit too loudly. I hope you're able to tune some of that out. Sometimes stimuli is so powerful, we don't really choose what we focus on. September 11 is a day we remember exactly where we were when the devastating news, the images of flame and smoke and rubble made its ways to our eyes. I was leaving a seminary class. I was gathering in our 
common area where students had snacks, conversation. Only there was this eerie hush, and a group was huddled around a TV in the corner. And every so often, the silence would be interrupted by a gasp, or a curse, or an outpouring of tears. That was a moment we couldn't look away. The images, they consumed us. Sometimes we don't choose. But most of the time, we do have a choice where we give our focus. Researchers believe that we can practice selective attention with our eyes, with our ears. And today, we see evidence of that in a woman searching for a coin and a shepherd looking for a sheep. The woman seeking the lost coin, for example, uses what psychologists might call the spotlight model. Spotlight, naturally, enables you to see something in the light's beam. If you point a flashlight under your sofa, you'll be able to see in the direction that light is facing. There's that missing sock you were looking for, your dog's ball, a Twinkie wrapper who's been eating Twinkies, you may ask. But those things outside the light beam are hazy. They lurk in the shadows. And further out yet, items go unnoticed, disappearing altogether into the dark. Jesus says there was a woman who had ten silver coins. When she lost one, she lit a lamp, swept the house, searched diligently for the coin until she found it. She shone her spotlight into every dark corner, ignoring those things on the fringe and margin until the beam of light reflected her coin. Sure, there were other things under the couch cushion, in that drawer, in the desk, scattered on the kitchen counter, but none of those things were relevant. That includes the other nine cup coins that she had safely secured in a cup on a shelf. She knew where they were kept, but she didn't give them a second thought because her attention was only aimed at the lost one. When I lose my keys or my wallet, I am slightly less poised than the woman searching for her coin. You might see me running around the house, making lots of uninterpretable grunting noises, throwing things around so that I'm actually losing more things in the process of trying to find one thing, all the while I'm fighting this all-out war in myself that I should be organized like an adult and not have a room like a kindergartner with toys thrown everywhere. And meanwhile, very loving people like my spouse tell me, it, you know, it wouldn't get lost if you just put it back where it belonged, which is really not that helpful when you're looking for something. But the good thing is, I don't hear her. <laughs> I don't hear my children wanting attention because I have selective attention on my darn keys and where I put them. That's that spotlight phenomenon. I think my keys are pretty important. Apparently this woman's coin is more important than my ability to get to church on time because she invites the entire community to come and celebrate the recovery of this coin. Her dedicated attention has some widespread impact. So Jesus tells a, a second story that shows what psychologists might call the zoom lens model. And this model contains a lot of the same elements of the spotlight model, only it suggests that we're able to increase 
or decrease the size of the focus we give, like a zoom lens on a camera. So whenever we choose to zoom out and look at a larger area, though our brain might move a little slower because we just have so much information to think about. So the story goes, there was a shepherd, and this shepherd appears to be a very good shepherd, very attentive to the task, took care of his flock seriously, responsible for 100 sheep spread out across the rocky slope. The shepherd has his lens zoomed out so he can observe this entire herd, kind of like a lifeguard observing a pool with dozens of splashing kids just surveying are there any hazards any threats any change in the pattern of the sheep and this shepherd is such a professional he is able to spot out of a hundred when one goes missing and so then his attention immediately zooms in to rescue that one that was lost his visual focus all of his mental concentration given completely to the pursuit of recovering this lamb, this one. And he searches unrelentingly until he finds it. And we are, we are so impressed with this shepherd. I mean, the attentiveness, the willingness to risk such great compassion, perseverance to stay the course. But you know there's a drawback to this zoom lens approach? Because when that shepherd zooms in and prioritizes on the one, sight of the other 99 is lost. Who's to say that while he was gone, he didn't lose five more, ten more that wander off, attacked by a coyote when he's gone? Seeing that most shepherds don't own their sheep, how is this poor, nomadic, hired hand going to go back to the sheep owner and say I found the lost sheep I lost 18 other ones though while I was gone you know losing one sheep is problematic losing 20% of them that's catastrophic I'm sure as they were all partying he found the lost sheep the guests are thinking this guy's risky I mean why didn't he just keep his focus on the good 99 that he had I was at Meyer buying groceries a couple weeks ago, checking myself out. One of the items that I scanned came up more expensive than I expected. I was pretty confident in the sale sign I saw on the shelf where I found it. I was pretty persuasive to the roving cashier that was helping everyone. Without hesitation, she gave me a generous discount on that item, and I was on my way. Because Meyer can afford to lose $3 and not really lose much sleep. But it would be far worse to frustrate a customer who might throw a fit or go on social media and lambast Meyer for being penny pinchers. Sometimes you lose a little, right? So that you don't have to lose too much. But not Jesus. Mm -mm. He calculates cost and reward differently. He has this remarkable and unusual understanding of value. I mean, the story is about sheep, it's about coins, but it's really a message about people. And this is what I would call Jesus's over-ambitious outreach. 
He's advocating this selective focus on one that's lost, one that's wayward, one that's facing in the wrong direction, despite the nine or the 99 that are loyal by your side. I think it matters quite a bit where Jesus tells this, these two stories. He's in the presence of some Pharisees, who you might remember, not, not as villains, Pharisees, the super religious, those who wanted to perfect their spiritual disciplines, those who wanted to follow God's direction without fault, who tried to get others to make the most holy decisions possible. Their goal was to figure out how can we make religion intertwined with life all the time. And part of their understanding of this holiness was to avoid people who ignored or deliberately defied the things of God. They would say those are unclean. So Jesus recognizes a group of tax collectors, others deemed by society as antagonists to God, and he decided to give them his attention. Jesus forfeits the opportunity to read Torah and talk about it with this group over here of spiritual somebodies really into the Lord. And instead, he zooms his focus on these ones defined by society as religious rejects. So the Pharisees don't get it. Why would you risk yourself, humiliate yourself, degrade yourself, to be with these who may or may not listen to you, may or may not turn from what they've been doing, may or may not be healed from their sickness, may or may not follow you on their way, when there are good religious folk right here that you could be with. And I see the Pharisees' point of view. I mean, when I have a limited amount of time, I tend to focus my attention on others like me who want to love God like I do. Don't you feel your spiritual life enlarged and expanding when you study the word and when you pray with other Christians who love scripture like you do? Don't you feel at home worshiping God with other people who have jobs like you did, drove cars like you do, visit restaurants where you eat? have similar experiences, talk the same way about life and Jesus just like you do? And how would we feel if instead of coming to join us in our holy, devoted, Christian small group, Jesus says, nah, I've got this group of homeless at camp in Garfield Park. I'm going to hang there couple of heroin addicts that I need to spend some time with. I do more rejoicing with them. It's my selective attention. You might be thinking, no way, Pastor David. God loves everyone equally. God doesn't have selective attention. You might be right that Christ's love is beyond our categories, our boundaries. He never stopped loving the disciples. God never stopped caring for the synagogue, those who led it, those who attended it. But so often Jesus prioritizes again and again those who are sick, those who are sinful. 
He invests in those people and places where he feels like real change is possible. That's where his eyes are turned. And so, be, so maybe our defensiveness with this story is realizing that Jesus' gaze is not always aimed our way. Maybe because we aren't the sheep in this story. Maybe because we're the Pharisees. And maybe we have a little bitterness that we need to deal with, realizing Jesus leaves for a while to go care for someone else. Maybe we need to admit we want God's zoom lens on us. Spotlight on me, not on some coin in the corner, not some sheep that wandered off and did no good. But God's selective attention is on the one that is lost. Maybe by releasing some of this bitterness, we can join Jesus in his search. Maybe therein lies the task. The audacious calling of Christ that leaves us thinking, you want me to do what? To get over our need of our own sense of being glorified. To avoid the temptation that feeds into our own spiritual glamour. To go out and engage with those who know real agony. And to give praise to God when another life is turned to wholeness, to hope in Jesus' name. I remember as a kid, we had a little dachshund who would sometimes evade our backyard fence. Now, maybe it had a little bit to do with all the balls that my brother and I kicked at the fence that bent it out of shape, that made it have holes so the dog could get out. But there's no reason to really point fingers right now. That's not important. What was important is our dog got out a lot and we had to rescue poor little Rusty. And of course, Rusty was so important to our family. This was a number one priority. When we noticed he was missing, we would all stop what we are doing. We couldn't imagine life without our dog in it. On the other hand, I'm sure you're with me, and, and maybe you have a significant other that has some clothing that you hope would get lost. You know, it's a cause of celebration when it doesn't show up after laundry day. Because it's old, and it's hideous, and it's a, a crime. It's a fashion faux pas. And so not only do you not help search for it, you might even sabotage any efforts to do so. Because you don't care about that old shirt. And maybe our real story, with the struggle with this story, is we just don't care about the people that Jesus cares about. We've decided that some people and problems are not worth our risk. We don't understand why Jesus would spend so much time and go to such drastic measures to find them. And so maybe the starting point is to repent and confess that we've been short-sighted, that our selective attention has left them in the dark. That we've ignored a group of people that God cares deeply about. Maybe we need to pray for wisdom, for compassion, to shift the spotlight's focus, to feel with intimate closeness the struggles of people that we have ignored.
Maybe God's calling to us is a challenge to see the hurting and hopeless with enormous value. That to fail to search for them would mean death for us. Maybe the ultimate cause is to zoom in on those opportunities to help people to turn, to turn, to turn again to life with God. Jesus does want us to love as he loved, to love everyone, but he also challenges us to focus our selective attention on the lost coin, not the nine that are safe in hand. He pushes us to go looking for a lost sheep, not the 99 that are safe in the flock. But he promises when we do this, we'll be part of a, a party, a celebration where everyone is rejoicing together. So I ask you today, where might your focus be. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please join us in our hymn of prayer found on page 2025 in the faith we sing as the deer pants for the water. when it first happened. The minutes felt like hours. The hours felt like days. And the horror of what happened 
one detail after another, could hardly be processed, much less understood. Then days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into years. Memorials were built, wars were fought, and victims' names were read. Survivors tried to pick up the pieces over and over again. But no matter how much time has passed, we vow to hold these memories. We will never forget those who were taken from us. The world changes and shifts this way and that. But one thing stays constant. One thing is steady. God. God weeps with us. God mourns with us. God bottles up our tears and records them in his book. He is closer to you than your own breath and remains the cornerstone of life. God is the solid ground holding us up as the world moves beneath us. It's as true today as it was on that day. Our God reigns. He reigns over principalities and powers. His dominion stretches beyond what our eyes can see. And when the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, our God reigns. We will always remember. Our God, our hope and refuge. In our distress, we come quickly to you. Shock and horror of that tragic day has subsided. Replaced now with an emptiness, a longing for an innocence lost. We come remembering those who lost their lives in New York, Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania. We are mindful of the sacrifice of public servants who demonstrated the greatest love of all by laying down their lives for friends. We commit their souls to your care, your eternal care. We celebrate their gifts to a fallen humanity. We pray this day for those whose faith was shaken and has never recovered because of the events on a September 21 years ago. We pray for those lives that were turned to addiction, other dangerous means to cope with tragedy, a fight that's been raging since. We pray for those whose injuries, whether by bone and muscle or mental and mind, have not fully recovered. We come remembering and we come in hope, not in ourselves, but in you, Lord. Foundations we once thought secure have been shaken. We are reminded of the illusion of security. We are brought humbly to realizing that what is unshakable is you. 
In commemorating this tragedy, we give you thanks for your presence in our time of need, any time of need. We seek to worship you in spirit and in truth as you are our guide and our guardian. Even as we pray in this memory today, we also pray, Lord, for those events happening currently in, in our own lives, news that rattles us, violence in our own city, students struggling, suicide on the rise, lingering pandemic that will not let go. And we pray, Lord God, for those immediately within our reach, our family, our friends that we know are, are struggling or are afraid about what's coming next. We're mindful within our own church of those who have recently had surgery or fought illness. We pray for Mark Barhan, Dave Rodabaugh, who've spent time in the hospital this week. We pray for the family of Richard Wilds as they celebrate his life, remembering his impact upon them, and now as they say goodbye. Comfort those who grieve, Lord, those who feel weak, those who feel lost. We know that you are out already searching, that these might be brought home. And for each in this room today that are feeling away, who are feeling like they've turned in the wrong direction, we know, Lord God, your spirit is searching for them. Even as those of us who feel grounded in you, Lord, rooted in our faith, are part of those search efforts. Encourage us, Lord, towards ambitious outreach in the name of Jesus Christ. We lift all of our prayers, Lord God, not in a sense of despair, not in hopelessness, but with conviction of your mighty acts in this world now and forever. You are the victor. You are the savior. You are the way, the truth, and the life. May we pray with confidence as the children of God, lifting up the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We celebrate the opportunity to share our gifts as God shares his gift of abounding love with us.
Lord, we ask that these gifts that we give today might be used to find the lost and rejoice when they are found. Amen. Found on page 121 in the red hymnal. Well, I'm excited to say that no sheep were harmed in the producing of today's worship service. And also, I don't think any adults were harmed in singing and spinning around in the service. So those are both victories. I pray that uh, where there was hurt, where there was a feeling of soreness or isolation or lostness, uh, maybe some folks will leave today feeling a bit more found. And for many of us, I hope we feel encouraged as we go about the business of joining with Christ in his ambitious outreach efforts. Hear these words of dismissal here tonight, today. May we who have been found by the grace and overwhelming love of God now become those who seek with grace and joy. So go into the world with open eyes and longing hearts and may the peace of God resonate in every invitation and welcome. In Christ's name, amen.